I don't know about you, but I have had a week. It's been seven days since we last stood together, 168 hours since this last moment. And I'll tell you what, some of my last 168 hours were fun and easy. But many of them were hard. And I don't know about you, I don't know how you walk in this morning, but here's what I promise you. God has a word for you. Here's what I'll also reveal to you. I don't have anything. I don't have anything for you. It's only God. Only God. And it's only God who has something for us today. And that is uh, an overwhelming place to be standing before you and knowing that God is getting ready to share with you and me. Teach us. I ask you to take your Bible, turn to the book of Job, Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23. When you get to Job chapter 23, you're going to go to verse 1. It's on page 597 in your pew Bible. Today is uh, September the 10th. And for those of you keeping score at home, this is my eight-month anniversary from the fall. You guys remember on January the 10th, I fell while running and broke some stuff and needed some casts and some slings and still need some rehab, and we're doing all kinds of good things. But for the first few months of this eight-month period of time, it's hard to believe. You know, time flies, doesn't it? In this eight-month time, I couldn't run because of casts and because of slings, and then I began to think about running again, and then I realized that in that three or four months that I hadn't been running, I was in terrible shape. And running wasn't even any fun. And there was a little piece of me that was scared of falling again, part because every morning when I leave the house, Angela goes, don't you fall down today. <laughs> you know, when you're told not to do something, isn't that the very thing Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7 that we end up doing? Angela doesn't know it, but when she tells me not to fall down, she's almost pushing me <laughs> to fall down. And so I wouldn't run because there was some fear. Then I started running, and my, my goal was I'd, I'd start going to Planet Fitness because I thought, well, you fall and hit a treadmill, it doesn't hurt near as hard as if you fall and hit the ground. And then I started running to Planet Fitness, running at Planet Fitness, and then running back. Then I started adding some road miles, and, and uh, a few weeks ago, I was driving, and I realized we were driving right past where I had hit my face on the ground. First time I'd been on that road since I fell. This past Thursday, I told you I'd had a, I've had a week, and this past Thursday, I had, I'd locked myself in my office for hours, reading, studying, going, God... Where are you? I need clarity. You know, because I like putting stuff in the crock pot pretty early on Thursday. Well, this week, it wasn't happening. So I decided, since I was in this spiritually stuck situation, that I was going to go for a run. So I got changed, and I took off out of the church, and I ran 
And I said, yep, I'm going to do it. And that path that I set out to run on January the 10th, I said, I'm running it today. And I took off running. Realizing that I'm spiritually challenged at this time. It was just hard. And I started running. I said, yep, I'm going to do it. Then I got to that spot where I about hit the ground, and I just prayed my way through it. And then I ran, and then I ran, and then I ran, and I got back to church, and I made it, right? Nothing broke. See, Angela, I didn't fall. It felt good to step across something that had been, whether it's silly or not, a challenge in my life. You know, sometimes life is like this. Our challenges, whatever they may be, they begin to define us. Instead of us tackling the challenge, if we're not careful, we allow the challenge to tackle us. And we begin to think differently, we begin to act differently, and we can doubt what we know, and we can lose focus on what we should be doing. And so that's how this week has been, and that's why I'm, I'm so thankful. I got back from running, and I went in my office, and I was, I don't know, probably me and God and about three hours, and it all sort of came together. And so I'm thankful to God and his faithfulness. Right now, at least one of you are thinking, well, last week, Jeff, we were in Job chapter 4. And you just told us to go to Job chapter 23. Are we skipping all of these chapters? I've been asked multiple times just today already, hey, what's up? I thought we were going to preach through the book of Job. Have you just decided to skip all these chapters in between? Well, let me give you some background as to how I'm approaching these chapters. And I know a number of you are reading Job with me, and you're walking your way through it. In Job chapter 4 through Job chapter 31, if you're reading it, or if not, I want to encourage you to read it. These 27 chapters are an ongoing conversation that Job and his friends begin to have. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, we've met them already, the friends, take turns speaking to Job. And as we mentioned before, Eliphaz gets to go first. But let me give you a rundown. I'm just going to do just a quick rundown. In Job 4 and 5, Eliphaz speaks. In Job 6, in Job 6 and 7, Job responds. Bildad, Job chapter 8. Job responds, Job chapter 9 and 10. Zophar, Job chapter 11. Job responds, Job chapter 12, 13, and 14. You get the series, right? And then Eliphaz takes a turn, Bildad takes a turn, Zophar takes a turn with Job speaking in between them. And then in Job chapter 22, Bildad takes a third run at Job, Job responds. Bildad in Job chapter 25, Job responds in verses 26, I mean chapters 26 through 31. And then Zophar says, I don't know why, what Zophar says because he never, he never speaks again. So we have eight dialogues happening in these 27 chapters. And so I'm reading this and I'm going, Lord, how do you want me to read and tackle this as we do this? 
And I want to tell you that everything that happens in Job chapter 4 through Job chapter 31 is God's Word, has been provided to me and to you, to us, to be able to spend time in and read through it. There is something there for you. And every day this week, I have read all of these chapters. I went home one night, sat at the kitchen table, me and my Bible in a notebook, and just made notes on all these chapters. And that's why I'm excited, because while I have had challenges this week in getting to this point, God knows exactly what he's doing. So I want to encourage you, read these chapters. But let me give you a more specific encouragement for this week. Today, my goal is to cover the conversations between Eliphaz and Job. Now, I just shared with you that Eliphaz spoke three different times. And Job responded three different times. And you're going, Jeff, why are you grouping them all together? That's Because I can tell you, church, that's ten chapters. Well, it, it made good sense to me because if you were going to try to counsel a friend as Eliphaz is to Job, you would come to this friend and you would give it your greatest pitch and you would likely try to light foot it a little bit, be easy on them, hoping they would get it and you'd give them your greatest pitch and then they would reply back. And if they go, nope, I don't think that's true, would you just change your mind? No, you would go, I still believe what I believe. I'm going to tell it to you differently. I'm going to say the same thing in a different way, and I'm going to try to convince you of it. And then you ramp up just a little bit. And then Job responds, and then your friend, you're going, man, they are thick-headed. They are being arrogant. They are being all these things. And you're going, I'm going to try one more time, and I'm going to take a run. And there again, you're not changing what you believe. You're changing how you speak and you ramp it up just a little bit more. And so what we find is that while Job and Eliphaz have these three chunks of conversations in Scripture, they're actually, at least in my perspective as I was praying and reading this week, they're actually having one larger ongoing conversation. And so this week, Job 4, 5, 6, 7... That's conversation number one. 15, 16, and 17, that's conversation number two. And 22, 23, and 24, that's conversation number three between Job and Eliphaz. And I'm grouping them because they're actually the same message ramped up just a little bit. But I'm gonna, before I talk about that specific, I want to make sure that I set the table in the context with us. Remember, Scripture has said that Job is blameless, upright, fears God, and shuns evil. That is God's quote about Job, and it's made at least three times so far. Job has been tragically impacted and lost everything by Satan, but we also know that it's through God's allowance. Job, we talked about last week, has a personal relationship with God. Remember in the book of Job, Job and the narrator, which could be Job or Moses, they are the only ones that call Job, call God by his personal name, Yahweh. So Job has a personal relationship with God. Job's friends, Eliphaz today, 
They do not know God in this personal way. Job's friends believe, and that's why they came, that they can help him walk through these tragic events in life. But I'm here to tell you, and we know this already, but they aren't going to be able to. Because if you do not have the truth as your message, your message will not be effective. But here's the thing. But like, but Job, like us, we can get worn down by hearing people speak into our lives things that aren't the truth. And fight as we can, it becomes hard. And I think that I don't have to teach you that. I think you know that sometimes having the wrong people speaking into your life, which we talked about last week, is the wrong thing. So you're going, Jeff, are we going to stand and read? We are in a few minutes. Remember, I'm asking us to stand and read in Job chapter 23. We will get there. I promise you, just not forgotten, to stand and read Scripture, okay? But allow me to build up to it. Let me share with you highlights from the dialogue of Eliphaz and Job. And if you want to turn with me, hold your place there in Job 23, but go back to Job chapter 4. And what I'm going to do is I'm first going to take a moment and I'm going to share with you highlights. I'm not reading it for you because I'm assigning biblical homework to you. You do not want to miss God's Word, and I want to encourage you to read these chapters if you haven't. But I'm going to give you highlights so that we understand this dialogue between Eliphaz and Job. In a nutshell, in Job chapter 4, Eliphaz starts in verse 7. He says, Job, only the guilty perish. Notice how he's talking high level. Job, anybody who does the wrong things is going to end up on the wrong side of God. Notice he's not saying, hey, Job, you. He's talking at a high level. In verse 8, Job, I've seen the guilty plow sin and reap judgment. In Job chapter 4, verse 20, Job, the guilty man is broken into pieces all day and all night. If you wander into chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Job, is there anyone who will answer if you call? Chapter, verse 3, Job, I've seen the foolish take root and then be cursed. Verse 4, Job, there is no deliverer. Verse 6, Job, affliction and trouble do not come from nowhere. They are judgment for sin. Verse 8, Job, if I were you, I'd turn to God. Verses 17 to 26, let me just give you one summary statement. Job, if you confess your sin and accept God's correction and God's discipline, God will take care of you. If you move over to Job chapter 15, and I know you may or may not be skimming with me, but chapter 15, we're skipping to Eliphaz's next statements. In Job chapter 15, verse 25, he says, Job, 
You will know your descendants will be many. This is as he's trying to talk to him to turn to God. And when you read this, knowing Job has just lost all of his children, and you go to Job and you say, Job, if you'll turn to God, your kids will be fine. Oh, I'm sorry, Job. That's hitting below the belt. Don't you see that? Job, I may have said 15. That's still in, verse, in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, verse 27, Job says, he says, Job, we, that would be he and his two friends, have searched this out. This is the truth. Trust me. Eliphaz believes Job is being arrogant. Now you're in Job chapter 15 and sinful in his response. Look at verse 8. Job, have you heard the counsel of God? Verse 9. Job, do you believe you know things that we don't know? Verse 9 again. Job, do you have understanding that we do not have? Verses 13 and 14. Job, you cannot claim to be blameless before God. And in verses 20 to 35 of chapter 15, Eliphaz paints a very bleak picture, and he says, Job, nothing good will come from your life because of your sin. And then in chapter 22, you want to turn there with me? Job just gets open attack by Eliphaz. Look in Job chapter 22. Thank you for turning there. Verse 2. Eliphaz says, Job, can a man be profitable to God? Verse 3. Does God have pleasure in your righteousness? Verse 3. Is there any gain to God that you live blameless? And then in verse 5, he makes his most stinging indictment in Job 22, 5. Is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end? And then verses 6 through 11, he begins to detail out non-factual assumptions that he's making about how Job has been living. And you can read that and you'll see. He says, you don't care about anybody, Job. The people who are thirsty die of thirst when they're around you. The people who are hungry Dive hunger around you, Job. You're just not good in any, any way. And then he paints this. If you're in chapter 22 and look at verse 12 to 14, he says, Job, do you believe that your life is hidden from God? You see, Eliphaz is going, Job, you are living in such sin. You must think that God is way up in heaven and he can't see through the clouds in order to see how you're living. But Job, I'm here to tell you, God sees it all and that's why you're being treated this way. In verses 15 to 20 of Job chapter 22, he says, Job, you're living like the times of the flood. You can go and read that. In Job chapter 22, verses 21 to 29, it says, If you will return to God, things will get better. And 
And in verse 22, verse 30, Eliphaz makes his final statement toward Job. He says, if you'll turn to God, your pure hands will deliver others. He says, Job, you are the key. If you will do better, others will do better. Eliphaz is going, Job, you can do this all on your own. So a summary of all of these things that Eliphaz has said to Job is, Job, you've sinned greatly. God is, God is judging you accordingly. And until you confess and repent, nothing will change. Now, I don't know about you. I do not like talk radio. I don't like talk radio. I don't like listening to Dave Ramsey. I'm not picking him out. I love his thoughts. But I'm driving down the road when I would listen to this and Dave Rams, Dave, somebody would ask Dave a question. Dave, what do you think about borrowing money for a car? Well, if you've listened to Dave Ramsey for any length of time, you know that Dave Ramsey just goes, I'm getting ready to teach this person a lesson. And he would just open up on them. And I would turn it off. I'm going, dude, they were asking a simple question. Just give them a good answer. But he felt like he had to take them from cradle to grave over why it's bad. Now, there again, I love the thinking. It's the approach that bothers me. Talk radio. Sports talk radio. They get on here and they get these two people and they just start gnawing at each other. Making point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. Same thing's true with political talk radio. Point, counterpoint. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I can't do this. There is so much going on in my life that the last thing I need is everybody else's arguments going on in my head. Now, that's just a Jeff perspective, but I'm not a talk radio guy, sports talk radio guy, because they just, everything's got to raise up to a level that's so much bigger than it is. Now, that's just my opinion. I don't hate any of those people. I just need this much of them and then I turn them off. And that's how I felt when I read this. I'm going, Eliphaz, get off him. Have you ever had somebody try to help you and it felt like they were just beating you to death? Or, let's flip this all the way around. Have you ever attempted to be helpful and those that you attempted to help could have felt like they were being beaten to death? Now, Job, as I've mentioned to you, he had the opportunity to respond. So it's not like Eliphaz just went. Eliphaz would talk and Job could say something and so... Let's just go back and see some things that Job said. So if you're with me, go back to chapter 6, and we're just going to walk through same fashion here for just a minute. And you're going, Jeff, are we really going to stand and read Scripture? Yes, we will. I promise you we will stand and read Scripture. But in Job chapter 6, Job begins his response to the first dialogue of Eliphaz. And in verses 2 and 3, Job says, this is heavier than you can ever imagine. Verse 4, he says, I know 
that this is from God. Verses 8 to 10, he said, dying would be easier for me in this moment. Verse 11, he goes on because he says, but I still have hope. You read into it. He said, but it's being stretched thin. It's about to break. In verses 14 to 23 of chapter 6, he says, you, my friend, you should be showing kindness to me in my time of trial. Verse 24 of chapter 6, he says, just show me one thing that I've done wrong, and then I'll understand what you're saying. Verse 29, he said, but until then, until you show me that I've done anything wrong. Remember, God has said he's blameless and upright. Fears God and shuns evil. We know he's not perfect, but he is seeking God. In verse 29, he says, and until that time, I'm holding on to my righteousness. Now, church, I just need to share with you as you're reading this, you need to understand that if any point in this where Job says, just to get out from under his friends, you're right, I'm wrong, when he's not wrong, then all of a sudden, everything that's happened in Job's life can be discounted as judgment of God. We close the book of Job, we go, there's nothing in there for me. When in reality, we've talked over these last few weeks getting to here that the reason Job is so powerful is because Job encountered suffering for being righteous and therefore foreshadows the innocent cost of a Savior one day. And so you don't want Job losing his faith. You get into chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 7, he says, life is hard. Challenges impact your hope. In verse 11 of chapter 7, he says, I will not be quiet. I will not concede. I will speak. In verses 16, I mean, yeah, in chapter 16, verse 2, he said this. This is one of the funnier statements in Job. He says, you guys are miserable comforters. That's right. I didn't even have to paraphrase that. He said, you're miserable at this. You need to go back to, like, comforting school or something. That's what he says right here. In chapter 16, verse 17, he says, my prayer is pure. Verse 19, my witness is in heaven. And verse 19, my evidence is on high. And when you get into chapter 17, two things I'll point out both in verse 9. The righteous will hold on to his way. And he who has clean hands will get stronger and stronger. And you're going, Jeff, didn't Eliphaz say three things? And we've only heard two responses from Job. Yes. So church, let's stand together. We're going to read Job's response to Eliphaz's third. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 of Job chapter 23. Chapter 23, picking up in verse 1, it says, Then Job answered and said, Even today my complaint is bitter. 
My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. There the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Look, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Thank you, church. You can be seated. Don't close your Bible right there. We'll talk about this in just a second. Now, we've talked, and we've gone through a lot of chapters here, and we mentioned how Job may have gone through this for months. And in verse 2, he says, even today my complaint is bitter. He said, I've been dealing with this for a long, long time, and this is still really, really hard. In verse 3, he said, oh, that I knew where I might find him. Let me just make this statement. One of the things I'm going to share with you in just a minute is, what are you to do when God is silent? Job goes on and he said, if I could just see him, if I could just hear him, but up and down and left and right, no matter where, I can't find him. Have you ever been in a spot where you said, God, where are you? And if you haven't been, and it's okay to say that you have been, biblical proof, Job says, I've been there. He said, because I believe that if I can, when I get before him, verse 6 says, he'll take care of, he'll take note of me. Verse 7, I would be delivered. But look at verse 10. Church, because today perhaps you are in the spot of Job and you're going, God, I have been praying and calling and praying and calling and praying and calling for something. And Lord, I can't find you. Let me encourage you with verse 10. After all this, where are you, God? Verse 10, he says this, but he knows the way I take. Job says, Lord, I can't see you, but I know that you see me. And then he goes on, he says this. This is after having everything challenged on him. Verse 10, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Do you know what does not like 
to be tested. Hay, wood, stubble, iron, right? But let me tell you this, Job understands. Gold, you test gold, it just gets better. It just gets better. It just gets better. And Job says, Lord, I don't know where you are, but I know you see me. And I know that when all this is done, I will be like gold. Verse 11 and 12, he says, My foot has held firm to his steps. I have kept his way. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I treasure his words more than my necessary food. I like food. I eat at least three times a day. You don't have to worry about me going hungry. I can cook, I can make, and I can buy. I'm going to eat. Not a day comes by that I don't eat. And Job says, Lord, your word to me is more precious and important to me than the food I eat. And church, one of the challenges that we face when we go, God, where are you? Is that we've not stayed connected. And I pray that God's word is a valuable, vital part of your every single day. Now, if you've got chapter 23 open right there, let me just read verse 14. It wasn't what we stood and read, but verse 14. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Job says, what God desires for me God will accomplish. Now, I want to echo that a couple of places in Scripture. If you're a note taker, write down Psalm 119, verses 73 through 75. says this, Psalm 119, 73 through 75. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Job says, Lord, I know. I trust you in these moments. And that if I can trust you during these moments, people are going to be glad to see me because I'm going to be presenting the testimony to them. And then let me also read in 1 Thessalonians, write this down, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me read verses 1 to 7. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For, by your, for you, by your, you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened, and you know. 
For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, that you have always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Do you know that Eliphaz would have been an absolutely great friend had he understood the truth? And he'd have sat down with Job, and he'd have said, Job, God is faithful. God is good. Suffering happens. Affliction is valuable. It raises us up. It sanctifies us. And Job could have gone, yeah, God is. Paul said, while we were suffering tribulation, when we heard that your faith was growing, I realized I could handle this. So I asked myself this all week. And this popped to me while I was running on Thursday afternoon. If you're going, why in the world did he bring that up earlier? God, what am I supposed to say to my church family when you are not saying anything? Church, what are we to do when God is silent. How am I to live when my prayers are not being answered? Well, if you're going to take notes at all, you might want to take these next few. Let me give you six things that I think we should do as I close. Six things. Zach, it'll take a moment or two. The six things. Number one, when God is silent, when your prayers aren't being answered, number one, wait. Wait. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is an invitation in Scripture to trust and have hope in God to know that one day, maybe not today, but one day, He will make this thing right. Wait. Anybody have trouble waiting? Some of you are driving around on fumes in your car right now because there were too many cars in line at the gas station, and you say, well, I'll just come back later. I will stop and help you when you run out of gas. Wait. Wait. See, when you're waiting, there is a hope and an expectation that there will be a payoff. Wait. Number two, keep seeking God. James chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. When you're seeking Him, when you're seeking Him, when you're seeking Him, you are doing the right thing. God has promised, I will draw near to you. 
Sometimes, that we for, sometimes we forget that God has promised to not leave us, not just not leave us, to never leave us nor forsake us. We must continue seeking, trusting that His presence is there even if He is currently silent. Number three, trust God. Trusting God when you do not hear Him will strengthen and purify you. Think about that. You're embarking upon what you have learned. This causes us to walk in the ways that we've been taught. It helps us to grow. A faith that is dependent only on good things is not a real faith. Building on God, even when silent, matures your faith. Number four, keep the correct perspective. Two or three reminders in this one. Because we have God's Word. I mean, you have God's Word. Church, can I remind you that because you have God's revealed Word, God is never silent. Right? So many times we're asking God to do things, and He said, I already told you. It's right there. Right? If you're regularly in God's Word, God is never silent. He'll speak to you through His Word. God may have already given you the answer to what you're seeking Him for. If you would just take time to read this. I got done putting a grill together years ago, and I go, hey, I was done. I'm going, I wonder what those are for. Do you know if you go back and follow the instructions, you'll find out what those are for? And when my grill breaks one day, I'm going to go, that's what they were for. (laughs) We got to read it. Also, keeping perspective, Jesus has already won the victory through his death, burial, and resurrection. No matter where you are, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter the struggle, the victory is assured. We need to hold on to that. Psalm 19, verse 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, tell us that God speaks clearly through His creation and that the heavens shout about His glory. I tell you what, if you think God is quiet and you're having unanswered prayers and you're going, God, where are you? Well, get up early and watch the sunrise. Or watch the sunset. watch your granddaughter play. See life happen. Psalm 
keep the correct perspective. God says, listen, I'm talking to you always in the word. I'm talking to you always in the victory. I'm talking to you always through everything that I've made around you. Number five, I said there were six. Number five, examine your life. Job had to do this. Scripture tells us that if there is unconfessed sin in your life, it blocks God's full presence from you. And you're going, it does not say that. Well, let me just read to you Psalm 66, 18. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, my Lord would not have listened. Allow God to examine your life. Maybe there's something there that is not situational. It's called sin. And this one blew me away. This final one blew me away. And maybe it'll only blow me away. God being silent could actually be a good thing. And you're going, that seems weird. Silence shows intimacy and trust. There are times that me... And my bride of almost 35 years are in the car driving. And not a word is being said. And everything is beautiful. It's possible to be in the same room and not say a word, and relationally, everything be just fine. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, when you cannot hear, yeah, when you cannot hear God, you will find that he has trusted you in the most intimate way possible. He's trusted you with absolute silence. Not silence of despair, but one of pleasure because he saw that you could withstand an even bigger revelation of himself. You see, it's after silence that God reveals more of himself to you. Silence shows intimacy. Remember, it was God who chose Job to go through this. So Job, as we close, Job is under attack from his friends. He's under attack from his circumstances. But he has held firm to his faithfulness and his hope. He trusted that God was present was aware and was involved. He looked forward to seeing God speak and seeing God vindicate him. We many times feel like we're going through things. But we also play a major role in walking with each other as they go through things. Remember we said that Job's friends were lousy, miserable comforters, Scripture said. Church, can I remind you, it matters how you live. 
If you are going through a struggle and you are allowing God to shine in your life and you are seeking to be righteous and trust Him, then you can count on God to be there, even in the quiet. But it also matters how you live because you might be walking near someone who's struggling. You might be Eliphaz to somebody. They're willing to listen to you. And it matters what you tell them. Amen? You know the truth. Tell them the truth. It matters how you live. Whether you're the one in the challenge or whether you're walking with someone who is. Now you're going, Jeff, what about Bildad? Well, church, I'll tell you. I spent so much time this week, me and Eliphaz and Job. I'll start with Bildad tomorrow. But we'll pick up and we'll cover the rest. We're not skipping it. We've just covered it, what I think is a logical way of looking at it. Read those chapters. See what God says to you through that.